the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Joram is the king of Israel at this time in 2 Kings 9, and both of them are descendants of Ahab. Joram is the son of Ahab, Ahaziah is the grandson of Ahab through his mother, Athaliah. So now what we have happening is the corruption of Ahab and Jezebel has not only been limited to the north, it's now deep into the south. The entire nation is entrenched in idolatry, witchcraft, and evil. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Kings. The Bible says that all of Israel's kings, no other king did more to provoke the Lord to anger than wicked King Ahab. King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, was equally wicked. Unfortunately, King Ahab's and Queen Jezebel's corrupting influence did not stop when they died. In 2 Kings chapters 8 through 10, we read how their descendants continued to wreak absolute havoc in Israel. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us that the only way to stop the rampant spread of evil is to cut it completely off. We cannot tolerate evil, or it will spread like cancer. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message, Getting God's Peace. Second Kings chapter 9, I'm going to read uh, the first 10 verses. We're actually going to do quite a bit of reading today from this ninth chapter, but so we can get the whole story. But I'll start here in verse 1. It says, The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of oil with you, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions, and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't, de- <laughs> don't delay. Um, <clears throat> you'll see as we go through the story here exactly why he's told to do it this way. But up to this point now, Elisha the prophet has instructed one of these young prophets who've been a part of the school of the prophets to go and anoint the next king of Israel. So Elisha delegates this to a younger prophet to go do this. But he says to him, now after you say everything that the Lord tells you to say, run like the wind. (laughs) And now you'll understand as we read this. Verse 4. 
So the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us? asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. And then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her." End quote. Then he opened the door and ran. <laughs> so, so here's the scene here. This young prophet delegated by Elisha, go and anoint the next king of Israel. His name is Jehu. Jehu is not the son of a king. A lot of times in the, the period of the kings of the monarchy in Israel, a king went to the throne because he succeeded his father. Uh, not always the case, uh, but many times that was the case. This is one of the exceptions. Jehu was not the son of a king. He's a commander in the army of Israel. And God has providentially selected him to be the next king. He will be the 10th king of Israel. So this young prophet gets this instruction, go and anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and at the same time, giving, give him his marching orders. And God gives him instructions right at the beginning. Here's what you need to do when you are now anointed king of Israel. I want you to go and destroy the household of Ahab. All the descendants of Ahab that have still survived and are still living, I want you to wipe them all out. Now, do you remember from 1 Kings, back in 1 Kings, uh, the story of Ahab and Jezebel? Because those are the two people at the center of this order that God has given to Jehu. Uh, Ahab was a wicked king. He was the seventh king of Israel. He married a wicked woman. Her name was Jezebel. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was a Sidonian king. Her father, Ethbaal, his name translates Baal or Baal, is with me. Josephus, the first century historian, says that Ethbaal was also a priest of Ashtoreth, who was the goddess of fertility. So that's the household that Jezebel has grown up in. She's a pagan woman living in a pagan land, worshiping pagan gods. And Ahab, the king of Israel, has no business marrying her, but he does. Marries her, and between the two then, they corrupt the nation of Israel. And I'm just going to remind you of some things, if, uh, if you were here and if you weren't here, this will be maybe new for you, but some things in 1 Kings that were said about Ahab and Jezebel, because we need to understand just how wicked they were in order to understand the sentence and the judgment that God pronounces upon them. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses back from 1 Kings. You can turn there or not, just listen if you'd like. 1 Kings 16, in verses 30 to 34, listen to what it says about Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, son of Nebat. Jeroboam was the one who enticed Israel to worship the golden calves again. Okay, so Ahab did that. It says he not only did that and thought it trivial, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria, which is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Ahab also made an Asherah pole 
and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the other kings of Israel before him. So that's a commentary on Ahab. Wicked, evil, brought in Baal worship, the worship of Ashtoreth, the female goddess of fertility. Baal is the male counterpart of the Canaanites and Sidonians. Even builds an altar and a temple to Baal in Samaria, capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. It tells us also in 1 Kings 18, verse 4, that Jezebel, his wife, murdered. She went around murdering the Lord's prophets. Okay? She had no tolerance for the truth because she was all about idolatry and wickedness. So she kills many of the prophets of the Lord. It says it got so bad in 1 Kings 18 that they started hiding the prophets of the Lord in caves to avoid her. Okay, so she's bloodthirsty, wicked, evil, idolatrous. There's sexual immorality attached to her as well because Jesus, in one of his letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, rebukes the church and says that you have tolerated that woman Jezebel and he talks about the sexual immorality associated with her. So very evil, very wicked people. And then it says, just kind of to summarize the commentary on these two, 1 Kings 21 Verses 25 to 26 says, There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. So when we get here to this story in 2 Kings 9, Ahab has since died. He died in battle. Jezebel is still alive. She's still alive and kicking and still influencing the nation. But what's happened is their descendants now have continued to perpetuate the evil, idolatry, wickedness, and immorality throughout the nation. And now what has happened is, as a result of their descendants, it is not only restricted to the northern kingdom of Israel, it has also now hit the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember that in this time in Israel's history, they are a divided nation. There's been civil war and division. So we have tribes to the north that form the northern kingdom of Israel, capital city Samaria. We have tribes to the south that form the kingdom of Judah, capital city Jerusalem. Each of the kingdoms have their own king. And what we see happening here for the first time in Israel's history is that the king of Israel to the north and the king of Judah to the south are both descendants of Ahab and Jezebel. So we have Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel, his wife Jezebel. They have a few children, one of whom was Joram, who will succeed Ahab as king of Israel. They also have a daughter whose name is Athaliah. Now, in our story, we're going to read about a king of Israel, and it's going to be this Joram. Now, here's where it gets a little complicated. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom of Israel had a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. He was a good guy. And he had a son whose name was Jehoram, who also became king of Judah to succeed his father. Well, here's where the two, the north and the south, get connected here because Jehoram and Athaliah get married. Jehoram marries the daughter of Ahab. They have a son whose name is Ahaziah. We're also going to read about him in this story. So Ahaziah is the king of Judah... Joram is the king of Israel at this time in 2 Kings 9, and both of them are descendants of Ahab. Joram is the son of Ahab. Ahaziah is the grandson of Ahab through his mother, Athaliah. 
So now what we have happening is the corruption of Ahab and Jezebel has not only been limited to the north, it's now deep into the south. The entire nation is entrenched in idolatry, witchcraft, and evil. So when you see this order here where God says to Jehu, you're the next king, but you're not going to be a descendant of anybody because I need to start over here. You're going to end up replacing Joram, the king of Israel, to the north. Jehu, I want you to wipe out the descendants of Ahab. I want you to wipe them out. Now, you might read that and you think to yourself, that is so radical. And some of you, this is where you kind of struggle with, this is, this is the radical Old Testament God that, you know, I, I can't seem to grasp. He goes around, you know, in, inflicting injury and pain and death on people. And, but you need to understand something here, okay? The very survival of a nation is at stake. The reason why God gives such radical order here is because radical steps must be taken to salvage a nation that is rapidly falling away from God. That's the theological implication here. All of us understand this from a physiological implication. If you have an infection in your body, let's say you have MRSA, it's a very rapidly growing bacteria that can, you know, start out on a small spot in your skin and become, you know, take it over your whole body and your body can end up getting septic and you can die from MRSA. So sometimes what they need to do when they see MRSA and it can't be treated just with antibiotics, they have to, they have to sur- surgically excise that area and do something radical to save you. And it, 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 it's similar with sometimes you get a tumor that, that, you know, could be cancerous and could overtake your body. So they have to excise it. They have to remove it. They have to do some radical surgery. Why? To salvage the, the body, to save the body. That's what God is doing here. Is this radical? Yeah, it's radical. I want you, Jehu, to go and I want you to wipe out the remnants of Ahab. But he's doing it. He's excising the evil, the infection, in order to save the nation. So, off Jehu goes here. Look further in the chapter. Chapter 9, verse 16. Off he goes. He's been anointed now the next king of Israel. And um, he's going to carry out the command of the Lord. Verse 16 says, And then he got into his chariot and rode to Jezreel, because Joram... That's the guy in yellow on our chart to the left. Was resting there, and Ahaziah, that's the guy in the yellow on the right of the chart, king of Judah had gone down to see him. Now, if you recognize in the family tree here, we're talking about uncle and nephew, right? Because Joram is Ahaziah's uncle. Joram is the brother of Ahaziah's mother. So we have uncle and nephew. The Bible told us earlier in the story, I didn't read, that Joram had suffered injury, and so he's resting there. He suffered an injury in battle. He's resting, and his nephew Ahaziah comes to visit him. So you have two kings in the same room, and Jehu hears about this. I got both kings in the same room. Might as well go take him down right now. How, how, what an easy target this is. So off he goes, verse 17. And when the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out, I see some troops coming. Get a horseman, Joram ordered. Send him to meet them and ask, do you come in peace? Please underline that. That is a key question throughout this story. Do you come in peace? The horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king says, do you come in peace? What do you have to do with peace, Jehu replied. Fall in behind me. Okay, you get the scene? This guy comes out from the, sent from the palace to look out over the palace wall, sees the troops approaching, doesn't know who it is yet. 
Joram the king says, send a messenger out, ask who it is, and if they come in peace. The messenger approaches Jehu, says, do you come in peace? Jehu says, you don't know anything about peace, bro. You better fall in behind me because there ain't going to be peace where you came from. And so he joins him. Well, uh, it says in the, in the rest of the sentence there in verse 18, the lookout reported the messenger has reached them, but he isn't coming back. And so the king sent out a second horseman. And when he came to them, he said, this is what the king says. Here's the sentence again. Do you come in peace? Jay replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. And so the lookout reported he has reached them, but he isn't coming back either. And then he says, the driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a madman. The, lookout, the lookout's looking at and he goes, oh, I recognize this guy by the way he drives. This, this guy's from New York. I know this guy. This is Jehu. Well, I'm going to hear it after the service. Calm down. This is Jehu. He drives like a madman. All right, so then look, verse 21. Hitch up my chariot, Joram ordered. And when it was hitched up, Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah rode out, each in his own chariot to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. Very interesting. We'll come back to that. And when Joram saw Jehu, he asked, here we go again, have you come in peace, Jehu? And he says, how can there be peace, Jehu replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abounds. All right, now, Jezebel. So here we are still talking about Jezebel all these years later. Those of you who were with us in our study through 1 Kings, you remember her. The last time we heard about Jezebel, you remember the scene? The last time we heard about her was a dispute over the plot of ground, Naboth's vineyard, the very place where they're standing here having this conversation. Back in 1 Kings 21, just to refresh your memory, Ahab, the king of Israel, who was still alive at the time, wanted to purchase a vineyard by the palace from a guy who owned it whose name was Naboth. And Ahab goes up to him and says, I'd really like to buy your vineyard. I, I'd like to have, have a vegetable garden, and it's really close to my palace, and so can I buy your vineyard? Naboth says, with all due respect, King Ahab, this vineyard has been in my family for many years. It's not for sale. No, thank you. Ahab goes home, and he pouts, and he's crying on the royal sofa. And, and Jezebel's wife walks in, and again, as I said back in 1 Kings, I picture her as a very gruff, heavy smoker, all right? <laughs> And so she comes, kind of like, if you ever saw Monsters, Inc., have you ever saw that movie, Monsters, Inc.? You remember Roz? Remember Roz in that? So she comes in to her husband, Ahab, and she's like, what are you doing on the bed? You know, sulking and crying. You call yourself a king. What's that? So anyway, so she has this conversation. Ahab's like, well, I wanted to go buy this vineyard, and Naboth wouldn't sell it to me, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, I'll take it from here. And so she sends a letter on royal stationery to the elders of Jezreel, where Naboth lived, accusing Naboth, falsely accusing him of things, hires a couple of false witnesses who will substantiate the royal claims. The elders end up believing it, hauling Naboth off to the city gate and stoning him to death killing him. And then Jezebel goes back to Ahab and says, funny thing happened to Naboth. 
he suddenly fell upon hard times. I don't know how to explain it, but he's gone now. The, the vineyard is yours. Ahab gets up. He's all happy. Thanks, Mom. You know, and, he, and then he, and he takes the vineyard and he plants his little vegetable garden. That's the last we heard of Jezebel until now this scene. Now, what happens here is Jehu then basically says to Joram, I haven't really come in peace. Joram takes off. And then Jehu takes a bow and arrow and fling, and the arrow strikes Joram in the back between the shoulder blades, and he dies. And then he goes after Ahaziah. He injures him, but Ahaziah escapes to Megiddo, where he ends up dying. So now both the king of Israel and both the king of Judah are are dead, the descendants of Ahab. But Jezebel is still alive, so he still has to take care of her. So off he goes to get Jezebel. So if you'll pick up the rest of the story now, verse 30. Here in chapter 9, still verse 30, it says, And then Jehu went to Jezreel. And when Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in... Oh, I shouldn't keep doing that. All right. <laughs> but here's the question again. Have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? He looked up at the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. And Jehu went in and ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot of Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. Wow. A brutal end to a very brutal woman. So we have this scene here where Jehu goes and there's this, you know, this palace area there where, you know, Jezebel is still, she's a, a retired queen. And so it says that as he's coming towards her, she dolls herself up. She puts on the eyeliner, she gets, she paints the eyes and the face and she gets the hair all primped and she's all ready. And she's there looking her best at the window as Jehu comes. Now, some Bible commentaries say And it is true that because Jezebel had a very seductive spirit, there was sexual immorality associated with her. Some say that she was dolling herself up because she wanted to seduce Jehu so that he wouldn't kill her. To try to seduce her, try to seduce him, and then she would save her life. But, and I don't, I don't buy into that because, you know, if if that's her motive, if she's trying to seduce him, she, she asks him something that is not very seductive. Okay? She says to him, have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? then that's not going to win him over, right? Well, Zimri was the fifth king of Israel who became king because he killed the fourth king of Israel. She's insulting him. What it tells us, though, is that word has gotten to her that Jehu has killed Joram and Ahaziah. So she associates him with Zimri. Oh, you're just like Zimri, the guy who killed the fourth king of Israel because you want to make yourself king. Is that why you've come? You come in peace, Zimri, you murderer? He's not trying to seduce him. I think quite honestly... She, she knows she's going to die today. She just wants to make herself look pretty because she knows she's going down. Might as well look pretty on your way out. She, know, she knows the caretakers aren't going to make her look good and throw in her casket and make her look like a clown. So she might as well look herself, make herself look pretty. So there she is at the window. And Jehu says, he sees the eunuchs who then come to the window because he says, is anybody else on my side? 
and two or three eunuchs, it says, come up at the window next to Jezebel. Now, it was typical in this day that males who worked in the palace were castrated. They were made eunuchs so that there was never a chance that the queen would sleep with one of the male attendants in the palace, become pregnant, and thereby corrupting the royal seed. What a fantastic time we've had studying Second Kings together today. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue to dig into the story of God, working through history and nations to shape, discipline, and preserve His people, Israel. We at Cornerstone Connection would love the opportunity to serve you further as God writes your own story in His redemptive plan. We have companion resources for you on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, where Pastor Gary offers a deeper look into several of his studies to help you gain a better understanding of the Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us anywhere with the mobile app. Cornerstone Chapel is located in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love for you to join us for weekend services or our Wednesday night Bible study and fellowship time. Our Sunday services begin at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday nights begin at 7 p.m. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, feel free to call 703-771-1500. We continue to pray for you, that you would understand the greatness of God's love for you. We have loved our time together today and invite you to join us again for the next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.